Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is also heard on numerous platforms, including TalkShoe, Amazon, Spotify, uh, and uh, Podomatic, and probably about seven or eight or maybe more. Uh, It's brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And this year's camp will be held from July 17th to the 22nd at the beautiful Singing Hills Christian Camp and Retreat Center. We also have a weekend retreat coming up in the fall here in New Hampshire, as well as a ladies' uh, retreat in the spring. And we have events uh, on a regular basis in the region. And to learn more about that, please visit our website, campconstitution.net. Well, we have a guest on the line, and that would be Therese Grinnell. How are you doing, Therese? Good morning, Hal. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fine, and thank you for coming on on very short notice. Folks, uh, we, Camp Constitution started the new year off right by attending a freedom rally, which uh, Teresa invited me, and I was very impressed. Uh, here it is on a uh, first, first day of the year, and lots of patriots were coming out. It was well over 200 people, I think, which may not be a gigantic turnout for, but for a cold uh, winter day in Concord, New Hampshire, I think is outstanding. Well, Teresa, you're relatively new to the freedom movement, uh, so please tell the listeners uh, what brought, what prompted you to uh, do what you do. Sure. So it started uh, the week after, the second week of August. Um, I decided um, it was time to stand up for medical freedom. I'm a registered nurse. I'm also a foster mom that adopted my two boys. And between the school board meetings and the school district deciding to change from parental discretion on masking to the mandates coming down on two of my previous employers where I still had a lot of my um, peers working, I I just got very concerned. I had seen a respiratory therapist who had had severe adverse reactions to the vaccine, um, neurologic, just debilitating for her. Um, watching her story, and then um, a young father, a veteran whose wife was pregnant, working at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, going through nursing school in LNA to RN last semester, and him doing a cry basically to action that, you know, all our blood, sweat, and tears, everything we've put into her nursing career is about to crumble because not only is her employer, Dartmouth-Hitchcock, but also her schooling, Plymouth State, are mandating this vaccine for her. Um, And he was just very distraught, and he decided to do a vigil outside of Dartmouth-Hitchcock in Lebanon. And when I saw his Facebook Live that was basically saying, when are we all going to stand? When are we going to get up and, and stand up before people's lives are just so severely impacted? And 
fortunately, God had blessed me with an opportunity last March to go from an 8 to 5, maybe 8 to 6 p.m., you know, it's probably more like 50 or 60 hours a week job to um, where I'm now on call overnight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And I took that opportunity in the event that I would have to do remote learning again with my boys or to be able to homeschool them. But I found myself here in August, and the boys were going to the YMCA, and I had my days available to me. Um, And this job that I took, fortunately, I think God had a plan. He knew um, that I had my dad's blood running through me, and when things are not okay, I just can't sit and look the other way. And, you know, I get called out maybe only two or three times a week, so I'm getting paid very good money to sleep. And that Mm. felt very surreal to me. I've worked full-time, not just one job, but oftentimes two jobs since I was 16, And I've been busy nursing. I've been busy working with DCYF to get these boys out of foster care. And, you know, my days were very full. I was not really tracking to what was going on politically. I've been a registered Republican since I was 18. My dad listened to Rush Limbaugh on the way to high school, and I voted just down party lines. Um, You know, I just figured if I voted that way, you know, I didn't want an income tax, I didn't want a sales tax, um, and just really didn't get any further involved in that. And boy, what a learning curve have I had since August. Well, I think this what virus, uh, ever since, I think this virus has been a wake-up call for many people <clears throat> and many new people involved in the freedom fight. Sadly, though, so many people and not just liberal Democrats either, but many people uh, in our that you know have been in our camp. We would think I don't mean camp constitution, but I mean in our ideological camp have bought into some of this stuff. And it's um, and I think one of the speakers, uh, the gentleman with the uh, with the AR uh, uh, Saturday, uh, January first, he was spot on. He said this virus has this communist Chinese virus has to, has uh, brought division amongst friends, family members, and I think he said, how many people have had loved ones that won't talk to you anymore? And I think every hand went up, <laughs> you know, and it's just very tragic because uh, uh, the science, they talk about the science, and the science is just so, it's not science at all. It's all hysteria and emotion. Now, you are, are a trained nurse, uh, and you said, no, this vaccine isn't the way to go. So talk a little bit about the vaccine. And uh, you mentioned a few incidents, but tell us why, if if I went to you and I said, look, uh, I'm being pressured to take the vax, what should I do? And and then why should I, if you say not to take it, why shouldn't uh, a person take it? So it's a, that's an area how I have to be very careful of. So I've had to really kind of articulate to people that, when you do your research, make sure that it is not backed by pharmaceutical money. Make sure that you're truly looking at something that is a gold standard and that you're doing your research on what's right for you. Um, what I want your listeners to be aware of is that there was new um, guidance that was put out by all of the associations, the nursing association, um, you know, the medical licensures for doctors, that articulates that if a clinician is found to be um, giving misinformation, 
that they um, could absolutely lose their license. And then they go on to define what is misinformation. And misinformation in that definition of that guidance is anything that is contrary to what the CDC is broadcasting. So with that, you can draw your conclusions. Um, this might be the sword that I <laughs> die on. I actually have had someone report me to the nursing board. It is under investigation whether or not I gave misinformation. And I will have a hearing in February. And um, I may lose the hardest job I've ever loved. Um, been doing mm. this for 15 years. I adore the ability to jump in and help people in the, in the time when they're scared and their body and using the science. And um, it's tragic. I have had five or six families um, every week that I am working with um, right now as a 40-year-old who is a single dad of an eight-year-old boy um, that we, the mother and I, work together to go right up through administration, right up through the ethics committee at Portsmouth Regional to filing an ex parte motion to getting in front of the judge with the hospital's chief medical director and their legal team and advocating for this man's right to try. And I actually have ICU charge nurses um, that I will call and I will just kind of go through what are their medications, what do their labs look like today, are they on nutrition, uh, what steroid are they on, and one of the ICU, they all work well, really well with me when I call, they don't, you know, we have a good working relationship, but the one said, oh, are you everyone in New Hampshire's first cousin now? And I said, well, anyone who calls and needs someone to help advocate for them. But it's, you know, this really interesting place that I find myself in. Um, that, you know, I, I'm going to stand for truth. Um, I am not going to hide behind the fact that there is a risk to every medical intervention. So when you hear that it's, a, it's completely safe and there's no risk, that has never been the case with any of our vaccines. Um, and none of our vaccines have ever been met that you would not contract or still transmit um, it's just basically the intent is to build an army so that when you are exposed, your body is able to fight it better. Um, my concern all along has been this narrative that's out there that once you um, get the vaccine that, you know, you can go hug and, and, and be with your family and don't worry about precautions, um, you know, and the whole idea that I'm, you know, when I have opposition come up to me is, you know, people who have had COVID and have recovered, it's a very easy lab test to see where their antibodies are in their body. And we have seen again and again that those titers is what we call them. Those levels of antibodies in their system are almost double what they are for people who are fully vaccinated. So why would you tell a nurse, that's been working for 28 years to give up her pension, give up, maybe she's the only health you know, insurance provider for her family, that she has to put something that was brought to market at warp speed um, into her body when she already has titers that exceed what that vaccine would provide her. Um, 
there's just so much that makes me be able to talk with people and say some of this just is not making any sense at all. And you have to use your critical thinking skills. And we've been taught as we go through nursing to not just look at the science, but to look at the evidence, evidence-based practice. And when you do the evidence-based practice and you see the outcome, because every human being comes to you with a different puzzle. One might have diabetes along with cardiac issues. One might come with, you know, kidney issues and GI issues or, you know, and everyone's a different makeup, right? So the testing was done very quickly. Um, so this idea of one know, size watch- fits all is ridiculous. It is. And, you know, watchful waiting and, you know, what is indicated and what makes sense. Um, you know, there's just a lot. And then, you know, we have this question of where this virus originated from and if it was manipulated and if there was some sort of um, gain of function and, and you know, did it come from the lab? Um, why were we doing this type of science? What was, is there a sinister um, objective or you know, behind it all. And then you have the pharmaceutical companies, um, CDC Foundation, its biggest donors are Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson. So, you know, you, you have to look at that and and take it all into consideration. Um, but the fact that we have had people, you know, clearly there's COVID money involved here big money. And that probably was my biggest eye opener. So just to back up for people, I um after I heard David, David was the one that was there on January first that you just um referred to. He was the one with the wife that was pregnant, nursing student. I decided to make a poster board and I couldn't go to Lebanon, but I could go to the busiest intersection I knew of in Concord that had healthcare workers going through it and that was the intersection right outside of Concord Hospital. We have Dartmouth there on that corner. We have Concord Orthopedics there, several nursing homes, rehab hospital, all through that Pleasant Street area. And my sign just said, honk if you're against mandatory, um, or honk if you're against mandates. And the first car that went by, it was 90 degrees out that day, had the window down. And here I am with my red hair, and I've worked in this community for almost you know, 12, 13, 14 years now yelled out the window, Therese, you're a nurse and you need to, you should be ashamed of yourself. And I thought, mm, oh, yeah. dear, dear, dear Lord, why did you call me to stand here like this all by myself <laughs> with cars going by, right? And I closed my eyes and I prayed and I had my Bluetooth speaker with worship music going on and I just heard, just, just stand, just keep standing. And mm. then there was a honk. And then I saw this sweet lady coming across the intersection um, and then there was another couple, and I ended the day with about 14 people standing with me. I stood there for eight hours in 90-degree weather. Wow. But the most beautiful thing is that about 3.30, 4 p.m., when we were about ready to leave, this woman came out the embankment behind us and um, from the Dartmouth parking lot, and she waved me over. And she said, I want you to know on Wednesdays, Concord Hospital, the administration meets, and they were top on the agenda was talking about how they were going to roll out the mandate and what it was going to do to their staffing. 
and they could see you and they could hear the honks. And I'm just here to tell mm. you, please don't let this be a once and done. She was a godly woman, um, administrative assistant for one of the administrators there. And so I just cried because it was that breadcrumb I needed to know that, oh, you know, yeah. I, I was where God wanted me to be that moment. And the corner went from, you know, 10 to 30 to 70 to 130 to, you know, it just kept growing and we outgrew the corner and we started standing downtown on Saturdays and, um, you know, it's just kind of organically taken off. In the meantime, I've been introduced to so many Liberty groups here in New Hampshire and so many elected officials and, then there's people like myself, you know, firefighters, accountants, engineers, um, school board moms, just people that are realizing that, um, you know, our constitutional rights are really being infringed upon. Um, and then there was the executive council meeting. <laughs> and I caught when there was a call to action by Rebuild New Hampshire, which is a big liberty group here in New Hampshire, um, for people to go to this executive council meeting with the governor where they were going to be voting on $29 million. And it was federal money, grant money for COVID. Um, the primary um, reason for the grant was to encourage the unvaccinated to become vaccinated. And I showed up um, and someone said, Therese, have you seen this language? And there was actually a, a three stipulations to receiving this grant. And the third one said, if you accept this grant money, you will be obliged to quarantine, isolate and quarantine if, man, if, if recommended by the federal government. And of course we had everything going on in Australia with lockdowns and I saw that mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? Like, it, what are we looking at? And so of course with that, everyone said, please go in. Um, they were only letting 50 people into the meeting and I went in and standing right in line behind me to go in was a lobbyist for Dartmouth Hitchcock. That's how she announced herself to um, the police that were the troopers that were allowing people in and out of the meeting. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm walking into this space where people are just looking at the money. And it was very disturbing. And the night before, Governor Sununu had actually been on my personal Facebook page. I had posted um, legislation executive order that I believe it was the governor of Texas had put in place to put a stay on mandates for healthcare workers. And I had tagged him in it. And he was basically saying, you don't understand. It's really complicated. I don't have a magic wand. Um, in we had, I quickly did a call to action to some of my private group messaging, um, night nurses and National Guardsmen and everything else. And they all jumped in and we gave him a run for his money until about two in the morning. Um, and when I walked in, he looked like he was going to puke. <laughs> so why did yeah. I get to the point? How did I get to the point where the governor is on my Facebook page, right? Is probably what your listeners are asking. And we got very unconventional as nurses and National Guardsmen and people who are about to lose our jobs over these mandates. And we started, started a honk brigade where we would meet on Sunday and drive to the governor's house and go around the cul-de-sac and honk our horns for about a half hour. Um, 
asking him to respond, asking him to step up and 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 stop the madness here in New Hampshire. <clears throat> I couldn't understand how we had a Republican governor, Republican Senate, and um, House, and yet my nurses were losing their jobs and. We are already so short-staffed, and we're going into winter where it's only going to get worse. And I just was like, this can't happen. Like, I need to do everything I can to, like, save lives right now. That's how I felt about it. And in the meantime, the school district reversed it being up to parental choice to mask to mask were going to be mandated. And then I found out that was also being driven by COVID money grants to the school districts. Um, and so at that meeting, they decided to actually reschedule the vote, which was such a blessing because we were able to go out and really educate the community on what that money, that federal grant money was all about. Of course, if I'm sending my hard-earned money to Washington, I want to get it back to my state, right? But I don't want to get it back if it's going to put me on a registry and then eventually isolate and quarantine me um, if they deem you know, that I've had contact and they want to make sure I don't go out to the grocery store or whatever the case might be or whatever plans they had. So when they rescheduled the vote, they did it at the police academy in Concord, which everyone was like, why are they doing it there? Like, it was very weird. Um, and we showed up and they allowed 173 people in. And in New Hampshire, the public is supposed to be able to witness these votes. So to not have a venue that would hold everybody is kind of an issue. But we had met early that morning so we could pray before we went in. And I had told the crowd, we're going to have victory today. We're going to have victory. We're either going to have a no vote, and this money is not going to come into the state of New Hampshire, or we're going to have a yes vote, and all of these elected officials the governor and these five executive council members will have political suicide and will know that mm -hmm. they will not, you know, be reelected. So we're going to go in, we're going to be dead silent. We're going to be silent as a mouse. We don't want WMUR or any of the media that's there to demonize us as, you know, being unruly. Um, and we're going to sit silent when it comes time for the vote. If anything, we'll stand and we'll just simply turn our backs to them and link arms in unity to send a message that this is not what we want for our state, but we won't disrupt the meeting. And so we went in and um, the troopers, the state troopers, was there's probably like 40 of them in the room and they lined the walls. They had the chairs set up in three sections. They lined the aisles between the three sections and it was very intimidating. Um, and, you know, we just assumed that they were going to say yes to the money and they expected us to be upset. So we were like, okay, you know, it is what it is. We're here to watch what they're doing and to hold them accountable. And um, as they went through the meeting, we were an hour into the meeting and they were talking about the money to vaccinate the children and to set up the mobile clinics and all the public schools. and. Um, you could tell the crowd was, you know, the size and just people just, it was really hard to hear about vaccinating the children. And so at that point, um, we stood and we turned our backs. And then mm. Senator Gatsis 
um, started to speak very fiscally responsible and questioning um, some of the startup costs for the digital registry, which was going to track all of our vaccination statuses. And so at that point, we turned around and we sat back down to kind of show, yeah, we don't want this money. Uh, we don't want electronic tracking, you know, um, and we sat down. And it was a, about five minutes after that, all of a sudden I had a tap on my shoulder. And I look up and there's four troopers. And they tell me I need to come with them. And so I go back to the room and didn't even realize the back wall was a drape. And they pulled the drape back and there's like four or five paddy wagons. And mm. they say, you're being arrested. And they put me in zip ties. And I said, but for oh. what? And they said, for disorderly conduct. And I said, what did I do? And they couldn't answer. And I remember they took the general bulldog pin off my sweater and they went to shepherd me into the back of this van. And I thought, um, I don't have my phone. I don't have my purse. I'm supposed to work tonight. Um, my two kids are out with my significant other's mom outside. She went to go take them to the planetarium. So I yelled out, I'm being arrested. And I think he thought that would incite violence. I think he thought the whole crowd would go wild. And... Um, there was two individuals there, Marilyn Todd, who's been very active in the Wyndham audits with Voter Integrity. She runs the New Hampshire Voter Integrity Group. She had met me just a few weeks before at a General Bulldog, um fundraiser dinner. And she and AJ, her husband, said, why are they being arrested? And AJ was then arrested. And Marilyn had her four-year-old in her arms who was sleeping. And she's like, why are you arresting his father? Then they arrested her. Um, and then next thing we know, a 70-year-old was being brought out of the crowd, but sitting right in front of her was uh, Kelly Potenza, who's been very active in liberty groups here in New Hampshire. And so we think they probably grabbed the wrong person, but this poor 70-year-old ended up thrown to the ground with a concussion. Um, mm. And then next was Monica, who was sitting perfectly still. She's a physical therapist. She was there because her husband was vaccine injured. And... Um, she at the beginning of the meeting someone had said look there's the attorney general dick tracy and everyone kind of laughed because of the name um and she <laughs> said no you don't understand he, he is not our friend and that's the only reason we can think they pulled her out of the crowd um, but at the end of the day there was nine of us that were arrested um we got our criminal summaries two weeks later and still waiting to find out why. And mine actually articulates that I was arrested because I allegedly said the word amen. Um, others were that they amen. made a loud noise. Yeah. So the nurse that was arrested for saying the word allegedly amen. Um, yeah, it's really, really was a huge, oh my gosh, like not only um, – our right to participate in the political process, our right to free speech, our right to to show up and, you know, have a grievance, um, religious. I mean, our legal team was like, there's five parts of your First Amendment, and they violated all five that day. Like, all five this of is them. Unbelievable. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Um, and then they had bill conditions that we have to stay a thousand feet away from the governor and the executive council. 
So there's been several other political, you know, going over legislation um, that, you know, I can't participate in. I, you know, if I drive my car down Main Street, you know, I'm within that thousand feet from the governor's office, like, will they arrest me? So right away, our legal team said that's unconstitutional. Um, those need to be dropped. And the judge came in with a mask, and she had been appointed by Sununu. And she said, well, I'll think about it and let you know in 10 days. 14 days goes by, and she's, the clerk says, well, it's still on her desk. She hasn't made a decision on it. So then they go to file um, to the Superior Court, and the day we filed that, oh, she finally made an, an order, but she put it in the mail. You can't get it electronically. And our legal team's out of Massachusetts. So I drove down to get it, and it articulated that the district attorney, who never showed up for our arraignment, had not weighed in on the bail conditions, and she wanted to give them another 10 days until December 22nd uh, to collaborate with our legal team to come up with something that both parties could agree on. And our legal team was like, no, we're not agreeing on this. This is unconstitutional. Um, on the 22nd, the district attorney called and said that they would drop the bail conditions on eight out of the, eight out of the nine, but the one they wanted to keep it. Um, and our legal team said no. <laughs> and so here uh -huh. we are, what is today? January 3rd, and we still don't even have an order from the judge on the bail conditions. So they are taking it to, um, we have trial management hearing on the 21st. And so from October to January 21st, I have been silenced politically to participate in the process here in New Hampshire. And, you know, the thing I never understood, like if you were at the rally Saturday and you mentioned the man with the AR, and that is always kind of like disturbing and shocking for people. But I love that David explains it as we've been backed into a corner slowly, kind of like. Well, let, let me say this. Uh, let me say this uh, as a someone who lived in Boston and have been at rallies uh, for you know for a number of years, the last few years, <clears throat> when the uh, the communist goons Antifa <clears throat> try to shut down free speech. That didn't happen here in Concord. In fact, there were no police there. There, were, there was no need. We policed ourselves, and the bad guys aren't going to show up when people are armed. So, Trace, we have, yeah, about, we have a minute. We have a minute left. Uh, well, actually, less than a minute. Can you let the viewers or listeners know where they can learn more about you and the organization that you're affiliated with to, to help um, to help get resources to, to fight this? Sure. Um, so we did have a web designer in the crowd. She says, Therese, you've outgrown your Facebook page. So she did create a website for us. It is wethepeoplenh.org. And uh, we're continuing to refine that. Um, did not set out to be a liberty group. So we're here to support all the groups that are out there um, and plug everybody in. But wethepeoplenh.org. You can find out more about the story. If you want to contribute to our legal uh, fees, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, but we are trying to find tangible things that the community can do to link arms and, and stand our ground and stand up for our constitutional rights for our children. Excellent. <clears throat> Thank, uh, folks, you've been listening to the Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.